The MomCast is brought to you by Mid-Ohio Pediatrics, where your family is ours. By Aquatots Swim Schools in Westerville. Safety first, fun every second. And by Once Upon a Child. Play more for less. Mom! Mama! Mommy! It's the MomCast, with your hosts, Mindy Dreher, Michaela Hunt, and Stacy McKay. Mom, I need you! Welcome back to another MomCast. This is the day after MomCast because we had our first ever Mom's Night Out at Giamarco's in Westerville. Ladies, what a blast was that? How much mm-hmm. fun was it meeting so many moms? Yes, and thank you so much, those of you that came out. And I'm sure we will do that again because it was it was fun. Yeah, and, and my first time at Giamarco's. How'd you like it? Uh, it was awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so you feeling okay today? I am, I'm feeling fine, <laughs> Stacy. Thank you very much. It, it, that's a long drive from Westerville to Hilliard, so I, you know, I, you know, I had a good time, and it was it was good. So yeah. thanks again to everybody who came out, and especially the Giamarcos for hosting that first Meet the Moms of Momcast event. All right, so moms, I found a topic, and I'm sure some of uh, moms listening may have heard about this. There's a new book out. And here is what it contends. The woman that wrote this contends that working moms are happier overall with their lives than stay-at-home moms. Stay-at-home moms, just not as happy in like many different areas of their life, life not as fulfilling as you would think. Now, I have to be honest, when I saw that, I went, ooh. (laughs) (laughs) This is going to make some people talk. So, I mean... Is that the case? I mean, do you think, have we, first of all, I was a stay-at-home mom for 18 months. So I can talk to that. Mindy, did you stay at home at all during? I chose to be a stay-at-home mom, but okay. also worked part-time. But I gave up my full-time career because my mom was always home with me. And at the time, you don't appreciate it. You don't think of being a stay-at-home mom mm-hmm. then. But I knew what all she did and gave up for me. And I thought, that's what I'm going to do. So you chose to. I was a stay-at-home mom. Absolutely. I I did choose also for 18 months. Michaela. I mean, the first time I ever had the experience was within the last year. I have always worked since I've had kids. And part of it was because I needed to work. Mm -hmm. Um, I wasn't in a situation where we could afford for me not to work. I think Mindy's situation is ideal, to be quite honest. I mean, to have been able to work part-time, to afford to be able to do that, and to be able to stay at home during the week like you did, you get that balance. Because I do think having that adult interaction is really, really key, but it also can be overwhelming when you're doing it 24-7, working. And so to to hear that stay-at-home moms, to hear this author talking about how stay-at-home moms might not be happy compared to working moms or as as happy as working moms, I don't know. I I guess it all comes from perspective. I think the grass is always greener. Well, I, I think I can come somewhere in the middle of the two of you because I always worked. I'm a little older. I've always worked. My career has been pretty a Consistent. pretty big part of my life. Mm-hmm. Um, I decided to stay home for a year and a half, and I'm going to be really, really honest. Uh, about a year and a half into it, my husband said to me, he sat down with me one evening after we put Olivia to bed, and he said, sweetheart, I love you dearly, and I think you're a great mom, but you need to get out of the house, you need to go back to working or doing something at least part time. Well, so why did he say that? What because did, what he were could you doing? tell he could tell there was such a change in me. As much as I loved, I loved staying at home with Olivia. I loved all that time, and I wouldn't trade it. But I was not good. It, there was just something in my 
you know, he said, there's no sparkle in your eye and it's not just because you're tired. <laughs> you know, there's <laughs> yeah, there's something okay. missing from your life. And I think it doesn't have to be a lot of hours. It doesn't have to be full time. But you need to be out there doing something that is a creative process just for you. And it kind of gave me permission because I felt guilty, I think, because Going back. of the feelings mm-hmm. I had. Um, I felt kind of guilty because I wanted to be that stay-at-home mom and just be so good at it. And I loved the time, but I really wasn't thriving, I guess, um, for lack of a better term. And because of my type of job, the hours I keep, I'm able to do that. I mean, it's like mm-hmm. it's like having a, a part-time job in many instances. So I remember talking to my doctor when I was pregnant with Kylan and him saying, you know, what are your plans? Are you going to work? Are you not going to work? I'm like, no, I am not going to work full time. We chose to have kids. I don't want anyone else to raise these kids. I knew in my heart I could never do daycare. I could never have a nanny or mm-hmm. anything like that. Yeah, and we, we chose to raise them or we chose to have them. We were going to raise them. And he's like, the moms that do it best in the past that he's had to deal with, and he's been you know, a gynecologist for years, are the moms who do a little part-time gig. Because quite honestly, it's harder to stay home. It's a lot easier to go into work, get away from home, get dressed up, put makeup on, and and interact with adults than stay home and wipe noses, wipe tears, change diapers, think of all the different snacks they're going to eat, all the different food they're going to eat. It is harder to be a stay-at-home mom, in my humble opinion. I agree. On the same hand, or on the other hand, I will say this. At the end, when everything is said and done and the kids have grown, who has ever said, you know what? I wish I would have spent more time at work. Yeah, no. nobody. And you know, no. and nobody, given the but a fact, lot of times, you know, though, people right. don't realize that till it's too late. And I have stayed home with Kylan and Cameron. My son's now in high school. My daughter's in eighth grade. And I look back at all the times we had together. I mean, the fun memories, the laughter, the crying, the tears, the, the arguments that we got in. I would not trade it for right. anything, anything in my life. The most important job I have is to raise my kids. And I would do it again. It is easier, and it was easier for me to go into work than it was to stay home. But that was my priority. My kids have always come first, and they will. And I think that's great. And But then there's, Michaela, you brought up a really good point. There are many couples and some single parents that just simply... We can't do it. Can't do it. No, they simply do it. are unable to do it. They try to do it or life changes and they're not able to do it. And, and I don't feel like we live some, you know, illustrious life, you know, where we I don't feel like that is something we were going for. I think we mm-hmm. live a very middle class life and it just wasn't it wasn't going to happen. And especially, um, you know, we don't have family in town either. So maybe right. And I did. Been, and you did. That's, so that's I think that big, also is true. a factor. Sure. But it's funny because now that I, I unexpectedly left the workforce about a year and a half ago. And so I started staying home a couple of days a week with the kids. And you guys are going to laugh. I mean, I just did this yesterday. This is my Snapchat from yesterday. <laughs> it says, any guesses? Hashtag S-A-H-M day. My stay at home mom day. You know what? I love the days I get to stay home with Christian now, who's four. And I have the opportunity now. I have enough work that I could send him back to preschool to daycare full time. And you know what? 
I refuse to do it because I, I actually am really, really, really enjoying watching him grow up right now and experiencing these things with him. And you won't get those moments back. No, but I, I will won't. tell you, Mindy, though, I did not realize, and I had said this also recently, by the way, those were cinnamon rolls, in I, case you were wondering. I, they did, did you get look, that? I did. It actually yeah. was a cinnamon roll pie. That that was a cinnamon roll oh, crust. I mean, okay. how domestic diva is that, right, on my stay-at-home mom day? Um, but I didn't know, truly, though, and, you know, all kidding aside... I, I didn't know what I was missing until I actually had that happen. See how everything happens for a reason. It, you know, it I mean, does. seriously, but you I didn't will, expect that to happen, and now you're very grateful that I, I'm very you're in grateful. This but I will say, Mindy, I will say that if I was staying home full time and didn't have any kind of side hustle, side gig, or anything, I don't think I would be as happy. I am very balanced right now with what I have, even though I'm not even sure I really believe in that balance that we always talk about. I think it's elusive, but I think it feels really good to be where I am right now, to have a couple of days where I'm staying at home with, you know, Christian Logan's in school full time now, and then to have a few days that I work. That's what my my doctor has said, the moms who can find a little part-time gig. And I will say this too, it's not like I am married to some, you know, rich businessman or something. I'm married to a teacher and coach. We just found a way to make it work, and we had priorities. We don't buy a lot of expensive things. A lot of our clothes are hand-me-downs for the kids. We have older cars. We just made our family our priority and then went from there. And we just don't spend a lot of money. We are a very savvy family, but our family is by far that comes first for us. Well, and, and I don't think, I mean, for us, you know, Maybe you're better at couponing than I am. Maybe you're better at a few things than I am because I honestly can look back at budgeting. (laughs) I don't feel well. Maybe maybe you are cheap, but I don't feel like I could have looked back at our budget, especially with school loans. I mean, Mm -hmm. maybe you guys had school loans paid off. When I had kids, I still was paying school loans, right? And so there were so many things that we had. I mean, I worked in TV for 17 years. I made no money for the first five to six years of my career. Isn't that funny? Because people think you're in TV and you make so much money, and we know that's not true. And, and, And so. It's not that I didn't want to prioritize it. It's literally I wanted to be able to stay in my house. But here's what I think. And this is what I've learned through the years because I've been on both sides. I became a mom late in life and stayed at home for a while and then went back in the workforce. Here's what I am really careful of ever. And that is judging any mom because moms have to do their very best. I mean, it doesn't moms. There are moms that their heart is broken every day. When they have to leave their children. Mm -hmm. Um, There are moms that decided to stay home and pine for a job. I mean, to me, moms do their best. And it's the last thing we moms (laughs) need to do is judge other moms. We just have to make the best of it. And some of us have the luxury or made the sacrifice, whatever the case may be. We all make our choices. And hopefully at the end of everything, because our time with our kids is so limited, we did the best we could. I mean, listen, my time isn't limited. I'm going to go to college with them and be around them all the time. Are you kidding? Most of us, the time is limited. (laughs) (laughs) We have with our kids. But no judgment. But, you know, it's interesting that there are moms that feel that way. I think the biggest thing out of it is allow yourself to say, Maybe that wasn't my strong suit, or maybe it's okay if I take a part-time job, or maybe I'm okay and I can do both. You know, being able to have that ability to forgive yourself. Correct. Maybe. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And yeah. Know, it was fun, Stacey, when I would go in on the weekend mornings, because that was when I would work, then that was my husband's time to be with the kids. Because when it was all four of us, 
oh, well, well, what are you doing? We don't do it that way. No, Randy, I do it like this. So you were and able so to release gone, some of that control. Right. Yeah. So I would go work on the weekend mornings, and then Randy was home with the kids. So one of us was always with the kids. It'll be funny to see, you know, later in life to talk to them, to see and find out. Were you glad, Kylan and Cameron, that mom was always home with you or dad was always there? Because so far, they're pretty darn good kids. I'm kind of proud of them so far. Well, we will get this information from this author up on Facebook so you all can see what they're talking about. And, and decide. Then, yeah. And, yeah and, and tell us what you think. Yeah, I mean, where are you got in an this conversation? Yeah. Everybody does have an opinion. Have you been able to release yourself some, from some guilt and be able to make a decision that might have been hard originally? Um, or are you struggling right now? Honesty? So important. Mm-hmm. And I think we could, the only thing we can be is authentic. So let us know what you think on Facebook and Twitter. The great thing about this show is that we talk about funny things, personal things, and sometimes we talk about the serious things, too. And today we're going to be talking about domestic violence, because quite honestly, we never know when it's happening, if it's happening. It could be happening to our friend right next door and maybe not even know about it. As we get into October here in the next few days, some of you may know and some of you may not that it is Domestic Violence Awareness Month. And we thought it'd be a good time to have a conversation mom to mom because there are probably situations where we have friends or we've been curious if something is going on or if something has been wrong, but we don't know how to ask the question. And with it, um, we have a great group where we are in Franklin County here in Central Ohio, Choices. And we have Sue Villalo there, um, executive director, is that correct? Yes. Uh, who's in today to talk with us. So thanks so much for your time and what we think is a really important conversation. Mm-hmm. I think so, too. Thank you so much for having me and allowing us to get this information out to people who are listening and, and need to know what they can do and how they can help someone. Number one thing, what's the most important thing women should know? So the most important thing that women should know is that domestic violence occurs to one in four women. So we all know someone who has or is experiencing this. It is really everywhere in our society. It cuts across all um, nationalities, all income levels, all races. The most important thing we should know is that we are near it, even if we don't know for certain that it's happening. When you say domestic violence, are you talking physical or mental or both? When I say one in four, I'm talking physical violence by an intimate partner, a husband, a boyfriend, a spouse. Now, that was a little sexist jargon. We know um, 85 to 88 percent of the victims of domestic violence are women. Certainly it happens to men, but predominantly this is um, something that happens against women perpetrated by men. Why do women who, and and not all, but why are women so um, hesitant to talk about it? Um, Part of the reason is, and a very serious part of the reason folks get into this pattern of abuse. Um, Abuse does not typically happen kind of a one and done. It's It's an ongoing pattern that escalates over time. And part of the reason people are hesitant to talk about it is that it's just embarrassing Um, And also victims are blamed for what's occurring to them. This wouldn't happen if you weren't so fill in the blank, um, whatever derogatory term is being used. And over time, if your loved one continues to tell you that you are stupid or unattractive or unworthy or whatever term they're using, you start to internalize some of that. So the abuse becomes in some way in the victim's mind very much implanted by the abuser, this is about me, and if only I were better. So it's very hard to say to your friends and family, I am such a terrible person that I deserve this and it's happening Mm -hmm. to me. 
When I lived in Lima, Ohio, and I volunteered at a place called Crossroads Crisis Center, Mm -hmm. and the one statistic that just stuck with me forever that I couldn't even contemplate was they told us that it took eight times on average for a woman to be abused before she finally did something about it. Is that true? Well, you know, I think that's a harder one to know. I've heard something similar to that. I've heard uh, it takes seven times for a person to leave a situation before they stay out of the abusive relationship on average. I think what, and I don't know that I can justify the number that we even really know. What I can say for certain is that so much of the abuse is psychological and that really it begins by wearing down the person's self-esteem, self-worth, disconnecting them from friends and family and employment and income and all the things that you need to be successful in life. When those are all removed and when the person is bought into the fact that they are deserving of that treatment, it's so difficult to find the courage, the strength, the wherewithal, and even the resources to get yourself out of that situation. Well, I think maybe that's where we as women, as friends, come in because Mm -hmm. we are encouragers Mm -hmm. as friends in our close relationships. We are people who empower each other. I I really, truly feel that way about all good relationships between women. So, Mm -hmm. Sue, I guess one of the things I wanted to ask you about today was, you know, in those close relationships that we have with our female friends, if we feel like something is going on that we're just not quite sure about, how do we approach that situation and be encouraging and be empowering without having to put our friendship with that woman at risk? We, I mean, we want to help. So how do we do it? Right. I, that's a, such an excellent question. Well, one thing I think to keep in mind is that this is someone's life experience and they're going to share with you what they want you to know. So the, the best thing that you can do, the first thing you can do is just to be open to whatever they're saying without judgment. So just to, to listen, it's, it's great to ask about how are things going with so-and-so and kind of open that door for folks if they want to walk through it, but they won't walk through it until they're ready. And when they are ready, to just to listen, to believe them, because they're expecting that people will not believe that this is occurring to them. Um, Often the perpetrator of the violence can be very charming, can be um, what's called superficially charming, um, can have other great relationships. You may know the abuser. So the victim is often expecting that they won't be believed. Mm -hmm. So to believe them and then to not pass judgment, not rush to, well, why don't you leave? Why don't you do this? Just to listen so that you remain that open door. And as they're ready to take steps, they will know they can come back to you safely. So as far as taking steps then, Mm -hmm. you suggest letting them take the steps? I mean, is there ever a moment as a friend you should take any action? Well, certainly if you know there's violence occurring that you should be calling the police, absolutely. Um, Other action I think is just really around being supportive, keeping that door open so when they're ready, they, they know they can come to you. And I certainly think it's okay to say things um, if a person's sharing that they're in that situation. Share information that you have. Share the Choices Hotline number if you'd like. Talk to them about, do you ever think about leaving? And if so, have you ever thought about a plan? And it's okay to plant the seeds, but not to suggest that someone takes some course of action that they may not be ready for. I understand that every case is different. Mm -hmm. Every situation is different. But I've also heard, too, that let's say there's a family and a husband starts being abusive to a family pet. And that sometimes can trigger, uh oh, this could I be next? Do you look out for something like that? Certainly. Yes. If you see violence in other areas of the person's life, that may be a warning sign. If you are feeling controlled by the person 
or if you feel like you're changing your behavior so that you don't make that other person angry. Those are probably the earliest warning signs and the things women in particular can be most cognizant of. Um, If I'm acting differently so I don't upset my partner, and that's a regular thing. It's not like I know they had a bad day, so I'm super nice tonight. Um, But if you're regularly changing how you interact or how you behave to keep that other person calm, that's a warning sign to you. Pay attention to the signs that you're getting and those uncomfortable feelings you have. You know, if I, if I notice some of those things as a friend um, of a woman, what and they are not receptive to having that conversation and they're hurt by it, what do I do next? I mean, I, if, I, if I know something's going on, if they're not happy that I ask them about it, what do I do? What's what's my next venue? You leave it alone. You wait for them. to You be that safe place for them to come to. If a person feels too pushed, too pressured, too judged, if they're indecisive themselves about what's happening in their lives, which we see a lot, um, they they won't. You won't be that safe person that they come to, and you clearly want to be because you're mm-hmm. asking about it. So you, you're kind of, you know, if your friend is an adult and able to make their own decisions, you need to wait for them to make the decision that they are ready to take some action. If, if I am the friend, can I call into a line to talk Absolutely. to someone to get some advice? Yes. yes. Who do I call, whether in central Ohio or on a national level? So Choices operates a 24-hour crisis hotline, and it's open to both victims, family members, friends, people that are concerned about their loved ones. So you can call in and talk to a victim's advocate anytime, 24 hours a day, and just talk about the specific situation and what are you doing, what are you thinking. So what's the hotline number? Okay, the number is uh, 1-614-224-4663. And as I said, it's staffed 24 hours a day. You can call with your own questions. You can call about yourself or a loved one. Um, You can call about something that you've observed even in the community. And we can talk about the very specific situation and what you may want to do as a, a caring member of the community at that time. It is like pulling teeth when I ask my daughter to clean her room. My son, on the other hand, is very organized. You walk into his room, it's great. Cameron, you walk into her room, you can't even see the floor. So I made a deal with her. I'm like, listen, no more softball tournaments till you clean this. Yeah, do I'm really going to live up to that? Probably not. But listen, she cleaned her room. She came out of her room with bags and bags of clothes. So what are you going to do with it? What do you think? Once upon a child. (laughs) Good idea. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, because Cameron loves to make a little bit of money as well. Mm -hmm. So if I tell her, you clean out your room, you give me those bags of clothes, I'll split it with you. Now she wants to clean Kylan's room, my room, Randy's room. But it's such a good deal because you're not wearing those clothes anymore. Why not make some cash off of them? Thank goodness that Once Upon a Child has that service that we really do take advantage of. And there's locations all over. Yeah, Ohio, there are. If I'm not mm-hmm. mistaken. Yeah. Onceuponachild.com. She has to split it with you? <laughs> yeah. Remember, I'm cheap. <laughs> you mean I have to split it with her. And keep in mind, those clothes were probably hand-me-downs from beginning with. No. <laughs> I need to come and live at Mindy's house. She could teach me a thing or two. <laughs> hey, listen, just because it's fall doesn't mean you should stop with the swim lessons for your kids. Call Mike Kallmeyer at AquaTots, or you can go online, aqua-tots.com. People tend to think that summer is for swimming, and that it ends at the end of the summer. So we want to make sure that people know swimming is a year-round and life skill that you need to keep concentrating on swim lessons in a year-round manner. We can offer that here. We're an indoor facility, year-round swim lessons. 
you can't just stop swim lessons just because the summer's over and the pools have closed. <laughs> um, it's a good thing to do it uh, if at least once a week uh, to continue swim lessons. It's a very uh, intricate and well-developed curriculum uh, that we do. Levels one through four with Aquatots, we focus a lot on drowning prevention and water safety. So we do a lot of scenarios. We create scenarios that um, teaching them how to get out of a pool. Uh, they jump in, uh, find the edge. Uh, monkey walk along the edge, how to, how to climb out of a pool properly. Um, you know, accidents don't happen with floaties and goggles on. So we do stuff. Everything we do here is without floaties. You know, they're really learning to swim. Another great thing about us is the ratio. We really believe in lower numbers. So it's four to one ratio. It's never more than four kids to one instructor. They're getting so many more reps that way with those smaller class sizes. So the one thing that seems to be going on right now is hand-foot-mouth disease. My kids have never had it. Have you guys experienced that? See, I don't think Olivia had it. And from what I've seen from the description, I don't think she could, you know, hide it. But our producer has uh, Greg, his Greg, daughter. step to the mic here. Yeah. yeah. What was it like? Well, I'd like to call it hand, foot, mouth, butt, because it was a pain in the butt all weekend. So we have Dr. Doherty from Mid-Ohio Pediatrics and Adolescents on the line with us. And Dr. Doherty, I've had this happen both with my six-year-old and my four-year-old when they were a little bit younger. And I agree with hand, foot, mouth, and butt, mm-hmm. <laughs> exactly like Greg is saying it. It is a pain. Yes. Oh, it is. It is. First of all, thanks for... Uh, being here for all the moms. I appreciate you having me. And hand, foot, and mouth disease is something we see every summer and fall. And it is uh, one of the uh, uh, common things we see. And in fact, you don't have to be a child to get it. We have a lot of moms and dads come in with it too. In fact, a few of our doctors have had it as well. Wow. Yes. What is it Greg's exactly? handing out the hand sanitizer in here now yeah. as you're saying absolutely, that. Absolutely, absolutely. It's, it's caused by an intravirus, Coxsackie virus, and it does have about a three- to six-day incubation period. And it's shed by either fecal shedding for four to six weeks. Oh, my. Yes, or respiratory shedding, respiratory droplets drooling for about three weeks or less than three weeks. So are we talking about, like, how, how does it spread? Is it, is it through shared toys, the changing of diapers? I mean, how is this happening for younger kids? Yes, yes. It's mainly from uh, uh, hand hygiene and poor hand washing. So diaper changes, it gets on uh, stool gets on uh, surfaces and or people don't wash their hands and or it can get in the pool um, and people have a lot of uh, the um, uh, play dates and you just get it uh, that way um, I uh, told my um, my sister-in-law that she got it and I said probably you are a poopy eater because you got fecal <laughs> material in your mouth. Sorry, I don't and, mean to uh, laugh. So, um, but uh, it is a very, very common thing, and we've all had it, and all of our children have had it, and uh, it is something that we deal with every summer. But uh, good hand washing is the key to it, and surface washing um, with the uh, Clorox um, hand wipes and things oh, like that. 
I have those in every room of my house. So. Oh my of course God. she does. You know what, Stacey? Dr. Michaela just read something that there's this going on at a college, yeah, right? Yeah, state students this uh, mm, yeah. in the last few weeks, which you think of this, and when I think of it, I, I knew enough about it at the time because I had two toddlers that went through it. I mean, it's usually five and under, right? And But you just said adults can show it. So Adults can get it. So if you have had it before and you have antibodies against that particular virus and that strain of virus, you can get exposed to it and not get the illness. But if you haven't had the virus or you haven't had it in a long time and your antibodies have waned, then you can be exposed and uh, get the symptoms from it. So that's why adults and older people can get it if they haven't had it in a long time or if they've never had it. Well, does that mean Florida State students are poopy eaters? <laughs> that's it. That's okay. it. No Buckeyes are, but Florida no. State perhaps. Nope. Right. <laughs> right. Think. Greg has one well, other uh, question. Oh, okay, one other well, thing for you. Sure. I have a, uh, almost a two-year-old daughter who uh, had hand, foot, and mouth just this weekend, Doc. Uh, and, and the big problem we had is she had these little sores on her mouth and she wouldn't eat, and, but we didn't know exactly how to treat it. Is there a treatment or do we just have to bite the bullet and, uh, and live with it for a few yeah, days? Yeah, wait it out. That's a great question. So we do what we call symptomatic care. The biggest thing, and you mentioned this before, is the children, they, the painful sores in their mouth, and so they don't want to eat or drink. Mm-hmm. And they can get dehydrated to the point where we worry about their hydration status. So oral rehydration is the key with some pain medicine like Tylenol or ibuprofen. So lots of fluids, popsicles, ice cream, uh, and Tylenol and ibuprofen at appropriate doses. That's the key, and it will run its course over about three to five days. And, um, and then the next question people always ask us is, when can I go back to daycare? When can I go back to school? And because we have fecal shedding for over six weeks, do we have to no one stays home for that long. I usually tell people that when they have no temperature for 24 hours and they're not getting new lesions, mm-hmm. then they can go back. And usually that's also when they're not drooling so much or not having so many um, stooling as well. So you can get some loose stools with it. And, well. and I felt, doctor, that I had to kind of inform my daycare of that at the time. Right. They weren't aware of that. They thought that someone that I was talking to, do daycares, should they know how to handle it or do we have to have a conversation with them about it saying, hey, these, this is when it's safe? Yes. Uh, daycares should know. They should have policies and procedures for these kinds of things since we see it so much. But a lot of times they might have some new personnel and we have to educate them as well. So parents oftentimes need to um, educate their uh, daycare providers as well. So I think, Doctor, I think Greg's on to something. What do you think? Should we rename this hand, foot, mouth, and butt? I think so. I think it, that's a great, I, we'll, we'll name it the Greg phenomenon. <laughs> like Greg, it. yes. Thanks I, so much, Doctor. I've always wanted something named after me, but uh, I'm not sure that this it. is it. <laughs> Again, that was Dr. Doherty with Mid-Ohio Pediatrics and Adolescents. They are accepting new patients at 614-899-0000. So, uh, weighty subject this week, and a subject with a lot of controversy. Mm -hmm. We talked about both. Next week... We're going to help you clean out your closet, ladies. How about that for kind of a change For of those pace? that want their closets clean Which out. closet are you talking about when you're talking to Stacy? Yeah. She's got like I think I'm going to go for Stacy's first closet. We'll work on her second closet later. <laughs> I would like to argue with that, but I can't. <laughs> <laughs>
because we it's know better. true. And we haven't even seen it. We just know <laughs> we it. We just know. So we're going to help all of us, whether you're like Stacy and Stacy, I'm kind of like you. I have a lot of clothes okay. and Stuff, a lot yeah. of clothes in storage. Yeah. Or you're like Mindy, who's just holding on to 1992 Old, right. with some of her clothing. Yeah. We're going to talk about a capsule wardrobe. I don't know if you've ever heard of one, but we are talking with a blogger who has devoted herself to purging her closet and creating something that is stress-free when she walks inside. So capsule wardrobing, we'll talk about it next week. 